see some new faces this morning, and just to let you know, we've been doing a series in the Old Testament, and this is actually number 54. It's uh, It's been a long series, and we're drawing to the end, and we're doing a mini-series on the prophets, and the this is the, the last of four in the series on the prophets. And what I'm going to be speaking about today is prophecies of the future. So um, very, very quick recap of our mini-series on the prophets. Um, we talked uh, two weeks ago about three underlying ideas that you see frequently in the prophets. One of them is calling the nation back to the covenant agreement that they'd made, this relationship they had with God, that God was going to do this for them and they were going to do this and they failed and they broke his commands. And then the second thing we saw is that uh, if we're going to understand the prophets, we have to understand that this is a, an ancient literature. It's not written the way our newspapers are today. It's written using their rules, not ours. And often it's very beautiful, the way it's woven together. Um, it's written almost like a cross between a tapestry and a manuscript. And once you see some of that, you can capture a lot more of what's going on, but it doesn't kind of start at the beginning and work through linearly to the end in the way we do nowadays in our writing. Often the most important item is in the center. Anyway, that was two weeks ago, and you can, if you didn't see that, you can watch it online. And the last of them, we saw that beneath most of the prophetic words is the issue of social justice. And this is what God had against them. This is a nation that's supposed to be representing God to the world. And yet there was such mistreatment, such corruption, such oppression going on inside the nation that God was so upset about this. So that was two weeks ago. Last week I spoke about prophecies against other nations. And I had two points. One of them was that all prophecy... um, against these other nations, in fact, overall, is contingent and provisional. What I mean by that is the purpose is to warn people so they would actually turn from their behavior and the bad things that are prophesied wouldn't happen. God's heart is not to carry it out and it grieves him to bring judgment. And even with the wicked, God's heart is that they should turn and be saved. And we saw the story of Nineveh who God said you'll be destroyed in 40 days, and they just turned to him and repented from the, the, the cruelty that they were doing, and God God didn't bring the, the words. And um, we saw that it, it brings God grief to judge them harshly. Then the other thing that we saw last time was that um, the idea of, of we are to love our enemies, just as God is a God who loves his enemies, and Jesus tells us if we we are to be like God if we do that. In fact, while we were still his enemies, he loved us enough to send his son to die for us. And Jesus challenges us to love in this radical way. So we saw that behind what can seem very difficult prophecies that God is bringing to these nations, can kind of difficult, behind that is actually God's desire that they should come to him and they should be saved. Um, so now this week we're going to talk about, I've got, I've got, um, three points today. Uh, new Exodus, new Messiah, and new creation. And very simple. Um, you might say new Messiah, Andrew. I thought there was only one Messiah. Well, actually the word, the Hebrew word Messiah actually means anointed one. 
And David was anointed, King David, and all the kings were anointed. And so when it talked about a Messiah coming, it's the anointed one, who's the new Messiah, who's Jesus. So my goal today is to help us notice themes when we are reading the prophets. So I'm trying to equip you to read the prophets yourself, uh, to notice themes and capture the hope and excitement of their vision for the future. That today then is my goal. And we're going to begin then by looking at the new exodus. So one of the most common themes in the prophetic writings is references to coming out of Egypt as slaves, the Passover, coming to the wilderness and coming to the promised land. And what God did in that was a picture of what God does with us in saving us. He takes us out of slavery and brings us freedom through the blood of the Lamb. And so this turns out to be a key idea that's just repeated right the way through. Right at the, um, referring to the original Exodus in Deuteronomy 4, we read, Have a people ever heard the voice of God speaking from the middle of fire, as you yourselves has, and lived to tell about it? That was at Mount Sinai. Has any God ever tried to deliver a nation from the middle of another nation, accompanied by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Now you notice in red there, I've highlighted mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And that's a key word that you'll see come up many, many times in the rest of the prophets later when God is talking about what he's going to do in the future and what he does with us. We are saved with God's mighty hand. We're saved with his outstretched arm. It's like, you know, you're sinking in the mud and you're sinking and God stretches his arm out and takes hold of you and lifts you up. That's the imagery. So this is where it comes from. The other image, and I'm not going to show you a verse, it's very common, is the image of a new song. I'm going to put a new song in their mouth. Where Does anybody know where the when the old song was? When was the old song? Yeah? Uh, this is probably wrong, but uh, the song that the ladies sang after the You're right. You're dead right. When they ca- yeah, when they came out of the Red Sea, Miriam, Moses' sister, who was a prophetess, led them in a song. And that was the song of victory. Like, God, you've done this. And they, and there's, I think, a whole chapter, which is the song of Miriam, um, as they come out of the sea. And so that is the original song. And then frequently, God says, I'm going to put a new song in their mouth. And in the book of Revelation, they sing the song of the Lamb, the new song. And so this reference to new song, then, is, is this connection being made. Um, so, uh, so there's, then what happens is, as you know, Israel, because of the way they, they behaved, God had to take, send them into captivity to Assyria and to Babylon. And so the prophets are then are prophesying a return from this exile that's like the return from Egypt. And you get these put together. 
Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he's driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. And so we see the stories of the past of Exodus from Egypt being woven into prophecies of coming back into captivity. And then into that is like hints of a future salvation, which is going to be bigger than that. So you'll notice this as you're reading the prophets and you'll see something, sometimes things like this. And this is Isaiah 11, uh, verse 15. The Lord will divide the gulf of the Egyptian sea. You remember when they came out of Egypt and the sea was divided and they walked through He will wave his hand over the river and send a strong wind. That's happened with the River Jordan. They went across. He will turn it into seven dried up streams and enable them to walk across in their sandals. Seven dried up streams. What's it talking about? And what, this is figurative language. This is like, this is much more. He's, he's not just dividing the entire Egyptian sea. It's more than that. This is prophesying like the exodus that we're seeing throughout the world as people come out of slavery through the salvation of Jesus Christ. So here we get this kind of pictorial language, poetic language, using creation, using Exodus imagery to talk about the day of salvation when Jesus comes. Um, But look at this. Um, This is Exodus language. This is Isaiah 11. Um, But... This is uh, something very special is added as Isaiah begins to talk about this, this language. This is 43. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel, don't be afraid, for I will protect you. I will call you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. When you pass through the streams, they will not overwhelm you. Okay, so verse 2, it's using the language of coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea. This is the language, don't be afraid, I'm the same God that brought you out of Egypt. Uh, But then, carries on, don't be afraid, I'm with you. From the east, I will bring your descendants. From the west, I will gather you. He will say to the north, hand them over, and to the south, don't hold any back. Bring my sons from distant lands and my daughters from remote regions of the earth. Okay, we get that. This is talking about return from the captivity. So far, so good. But then, let, this is Isaiah 43. This section I'm quoting from, let's see how it's introduced. This is very interesting. Here is my servant whom I support, my chosen one, In whom I take pleasure, I have placed my spirit on him. He will make just decrees for the nations. Who's this talking about? The chosen one, yeah? Jesus, Jesus. it's talking about Jesus. Hey, you guys, you can't let Bill have all the answers here. You've got to... uh, So he'll not cry out or shout. He will not publicize himself in the streets. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully make just decrees. He will not grow dim nor be crushed before establishing justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait in anticipation for his decrees. 
So this is actually introducing the imagery of Exodus. But this is Jesus. So what's this about them coming out of the lands, you know, they've been exiled in? Because actually, we are exiles in some, we are God's people spread over all the world that God is calling out into his freedom. And so, if you like, you see three levels. You see, you see the original Exodus, slavery in Egypt brought out with God's mighty hand. Sing a song. And then we have the Israel, Israel in captivity, and they're spread out over the Assyria, Babylonia, and so on. They are brought back to the land. But actually, both of those are nothing compared with the big exodus that God is doing, that the prophets are talking about, that's going to be from the whole world, from every nation, tribe, and tongue, coming and singing a new song. So, um, so this is, this is where I want to, I'm not going to talk any more about Exodus, but I wanted to alert you to this, this theme, this, uh, this, um, painting, this color, if you like, because the prof- prophecies are like colored paintings that are done with different colors. And if you want to think of the Exodus as blue, because you know it's got water, then this is the blue paint that's used as the future is being painted by the prophets. The picture of coming through the sea, singing a new song, and coming into the promised land. So, that's uh, the new Exodus. Now we're going to see the new Messiah. And I've already begun to hint in that, in Isaiah 42, this servant of the Lord who's coming. And we see the prophecies about this person who's going to come. And of course, the, um, the, the one that we're probably most familiar with is, um, Isaiah 53. So I'm going to read the whole chapter now because you, how can you not read the whole chapter? It's just amazing. Um, who has believed what he's heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus didn't look like specially different as a child. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is amazing. These verses um, here in the Old Testament so explicitly about what Jesus did on the cross. It's quite extraordinary. Um, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, 
though he'd done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You know, I think I can't resist reading the whole chapter here because isn't that amazing? Like such clarity there in Isaiah, such clarity about the coming Messiah. Now, of course, we, we know what it's about so we can understand it more clearly than them. One of the issues with prophecy is that after it's fulfilled, it's much easier to understand than beforehand because the picture language is, you know, is much clearer. But um, nevertheless, there's a lot here that is really, really clear. And uh, I just think um, that um, I'm, I'm concluding my series on prophecy this week. And how can I do it without Isaiah 53, which is like the, the pinnacle of prophetic clarity? But that's not the only thing we see when we look for, uh, for prophecies about Jesus. And I'm just scratching the surface here. But uh, one of the things we see is lots of detail. Lots of detail. So um, Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And actually the Jews understood. They actually thought it was literally Elijah. They didn't realize it was John the Baptist who Jesus said, John the Baptist is Elijah. But he's the, like the prophetic fulfillment of this promise. But he was the one who prepared the way. Other places describe his task preparing the way. Another one. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you remember when this was fulfilled? Yeah? Somebody other than Bill? <laughs> when was this fulfilled? Hmm? Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they accepted his king, their palms, branches, they, they said, he's, he's his King David coming. And then, of course, very soon they turned against him. But this was, this was actually coming to them, um, mounted on a donkey. And it quotes this verse. Another one. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Zechariah 12.10. And so this is, and this is quoted in the New Testament as, as, as being applied to Jesus. They pierced his hands and his feet. And so some very specific details in some of these prophecies. Um, another one which um, is very applicable to today. Today is, is Pentecost Sunday. 
And we have the prophecy, of course, in Joel of Pentecost. After all of this, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your elderly will have revelatory dreams. Your young men and women will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders both in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sunlight will be turned into darkness, the moon to color of blood before the great, the day of the Lord comes, that great and awesome day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here is, this is the day we're living in. The spirit is poured out and Ask, as Heather was saying earlier, ask, and God will give you more of his spirit. Ask for more of his spirit, and he will give it to you. And we're going to pray for that at the end of this sermon. But this is the, t- this is where we're living in the age of the spirit that was prophesied here. And Joel and Peter says, this now is what you see that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. So very clear prophecies. Um, and now just as we saw, um, when we looked at the Exodus prophecies, we saw the pointing forward to Jesus. We're now going to see here uh, prophecies pointing forward to my last point, which is new creation. So just like my first and second points were linked together, my second and third are. And here we have an Isaiah chapter 9 linking these together. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So when Jesus is prophesied, when Jesus' coming is prophesied, there's hints of God doing something that's actually going to last for eternity. And so this leads us into my last point today. We looked at the new Exodus. We've looked at the new Messiah. And the third theme I want us to pick up on when we're reading the prophets is new creation. So elements of these prophecies that we see are fulfilled in the gospel, are fulfilled right now. But there's something more in some of these. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding of the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. So we know this is Jesus. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. So here's Jesus coming. And but then we read on. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So this is like talking about Jesus ruling the world. So hang on. Um, but Jesus Jesus hasn't come yet. What's, what's all this about? Uh, 
Is this prophecy, this prophecy here, and we had one earlier about um, God's glory filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, are they fulfilled yet? Well, they're not. They're not. So what's happening here is that the prophets are seeing the future, but they see it like a range of mountains in the future. And some of them are closer than others, um, but they're all in the future. But they see them as all together. Now, uh, a while ago, Anne and I went on a train trip to, to, uh, to the West Coast. And this is a, this is some pictures I took out of the top of the train, and this is approaching the Rockies. You know, you've been you've been in a uh, going across a flat country for 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 days, and then finally there's the Rockies, and you're so excited, and there they are in the distance. But it just looks like a single mountain in the distance, just something. Then as you get closer, it's hey maybe there's more than one hill here, and then you get very close, and hey there's multiple peaks here. And then you get actually into them, and yeah, you're right in the middle now. There's lots of mountains and so on. So what happens is we call this, uh, theologians call this prophetic perspective. The perspective, they, the prophets talk about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord. And this day of the Lord um, is, they speak about you know, what's going to happen to the day of the Lord, but they speaking of it as if it's a single event. But when we get there, we discover actually it's spaced out. So the Messiah comes and brings justice and judgment in the prophecies, but we now know the coming of Jesus is in two phases. Jesus didn't just come once, but there's the first coming and the second coming. And the first time he comes as a humble servant dying on the cross, the second time he'll come as a judge of the universe. And you think about it, the fact that there is a gap between them is grace. Because if Jesus had come the first time in judgment, you know, who would be saved? Not very many. But the gap between the first coming and the second coming is the time of grace when the gospel can come out. And so it's like the prophets just saw the day of the Lord and they, and things were mixed up. You know, some of them were the, the, what was happening at the end, some at the beginning. And it, so when you're reading the Old Testament prophets, don't be confused by this. Just remember that the prophetic word that they were given was limited in this way and wasn't given, they weren't given a, a, a tight time uh, sequence. They were just told this is going to happen, the coming of the Lord. Um, so uh, this th- this future that's coming then is also a future creation. And this future creation, I'm going to keep on, I'm going to re- read some of um, some poetic language, carrying on with Isaiah 11 here. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
So is this prophecy prophesying, is this about um, lions and snakes becoming vegetarians? Is that the point of this? No, it's not. No, that's just the poetic language of God saying, I'm bringing a new creation, which has got different rules to it. The whole, because the other creation we've got right now, you could say, you know, it's red in tooth and claw, as people say. You know, there's, there's, there's animals eat animals. It's kind of this, 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 um, torment happening. The new creation won't have any of that. Not only will people not be sinful, but there's going to be something radically different. And this is done in picture language because the reality is just something that's too different to actually grasp. It's too amazingly different for us to grasp. Uh, and I've just got a couple more quotes for you. Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and the people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So this is describing then in poetic language this new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. And so we, as, I'm, as I'm giving you this overview of the prophets in the future, I'm giving you these three steps, a new exodus, a new Messiah, and a new creation. The last, right, the, right at the end of Isaiah, we get this verse. The book closes. It's not quite the last verse, but it's almost right at the end. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. So that is the third of these three things we've been looking at. New Exodus, new Messiah, and new creation. And I've got two key points that I want you to take away now. And if you remember nothing from my sermon today except for these two points... This is what I want you to remember. We are right in the middle of the mountain range right now. This is my first point. We're in the middle of the mountain range. Don't worry if some things are not clear. They will be. Prophecy is clarified when it's actually fulfilled and you can look back on it. Most of the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus wasn't clear until you look back on it. Um, be encouraged and keep your eyes on the end. So this is my first point to take away. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Keep your eyes on the end. There's going to be an amazing finish that is actually indescribable. It can't be put into words. It's indescribable. That's why there have to be so many pictures used. The second one is this, and the second is even bigger than that. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy was unimaginably greater than you could have figured from the prophecy. This is a principle you can look through that goes through. It's more like one of the rules of prophecy that the fulfillment is never a letdown. The fulfillment is always greater. Um, you think of these prophecies that God's going to send his servant. He's going to send this, this human who's going to you know, do these things. Uh, prophecies of Jesus, nobody could have guessed that God himself would become human. 
wow, that is out of all proportion to what they could have predicted, even from reading the prophecies. I mean, in retrospect, of course, it makes perfect sense. Particularly some of them, you couldn't, you can understand them completely now, but like, what an extraordinary thing that God should become human. Wow. That, that exceeds, that's a different order of magnitude to the expectations of the wildest dreams. And I want to encourage you, and if, if you only leave with one thing now, it's this, that I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So I want to leave you with this. The future that God has for you, if you're a follower of him, is indescribably amazing. It is just extraordinary. Just as we see the step from the Old Testament to the New as, wow, I never thought God could do that, that he would do that. Like he himself would become human and die for us. Wow, there's going to be the same kind of step prophetically from where we are now to what we have uh, when we're in, in the new heavens and the new earth in glory, we can just say, God, you, you know, words couldn't, words couldn't have contained it. If you'd written it out, I wouldn't even have understood God because it is so amazing. So I just want to leave you with that this morning. I want to lift up your hearts in encouragement that what you're going through now may be confusing. You know, you may think, I don't see how this figuring out. It will make sense one day. Not only will it make sense, it will make amazingly glorious, excited sense. So I think you can tell I'm really excited by this. This, this is one of the truths that gets me so pumped because I am, I want to be there. I want to see this. I want to, and I'm going to be there. And we will all will be if we're following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, then the, just ask him. The, 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 the prophecies here are so clear. Just come to him and he will give you his living water. He will give you, he will take you in to be part of his people. And you can be one of the inheritors of these prophecies. So, here ends our mini-series on the prophets, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you and a blessing to you, and I hope it will encourage you to dive in to reading some of the prophets. And start with Isaiah. We've been doing a lot of readings from Isaiah, and you get uh, an idea of how to read this marvelous book. So I want to close now just by by asking God to pour his spirit out on us, each one of us, and to give us, uh, give us, to lift our spirits up to get in a sight of his future. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the amazing goodness that you have for us, that while we were your enemies, you gave us your own son. And thank you, God, for the future that you have for us. Thank you that you poured your spirit out on us. Lord, I pray for everyone here to, to Lord, dry ground, Lord, that you would Fill it with overflowing waters, Lord. The places that each of us has where we need your refreshment, pour it on us, we ask. And Lord, I pray that you would catch catch our eyes and lift them up to glory. Fill us with an excitement at what our destiny is in you and the future hope you have for us in glory. Lord, we thank you. Amen.